over the past weeks and through it here and now, all these questions that God asked us. How many people, and, we, and I'm going to play a little interactive today, especially since it ain't that many of us. I want you to, I'm, I'm probably going to throw some questions out. Y'all going to throw some response. Whoever want to participate can. It ain't it get extra credit. It ain't no it ain't no mandatory participation. You are not getting graded based off your participation. Amen. God still will love you whether you participate or not. Amen. However, we we talked about the questions. Can anybody remember the questions? What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Who's he talk, Who he asked that of? Moses. Moses. He talked about what's in your hand because. Abraham. It, no, we ain't got to that one yet. See, so you can jump in the head. I already stopped. You stopped talking. What was the next question? Where are you? Where are you? Who you asked that of? Adam. Nope. We ain't talked about where are you. That's what we're talking about today. <laughs> where are you? Why are you here? Oh, why are you it's today? No, okay. that was Elijah. Okay. We talked about See, y'all see. I'm up here in vain now. We hearing the message. I know, I know. But we gotta retain the message. He said, he said, why are you here? He talked to Elijah. Remember, he said, why are you here? Because Elijah was going through his little pity party. And he said, I created you basically for greater than this. Why are you here? Why are you going through all this when you know who you really are, who you're supposed to be? He asked Moses, what's in your hand? Because Moses said, I can't do this. I, I don't know how to do it, what to do this, that, that. He said, what's in your hand? Start with that. Right? Then last week he asked the question to who? Adam. No, you keep on talking about Adam. We're talking about Adam today, okay? <laughs> who was it last week? Joshua. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now what did he ask Ezekiel? What did what did he ask Ezekiel? What did he ask Ezekiel? I thought she asked the question. She answered. Who answered? Oh, oh, you smile like you answered. She like, I had to answer. She just said it first. <laughs> we need some buzzers, right? He said, can these bones live? Can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, I don't know. <laughs> you supposed to know, God. And that's what a lot of times we do when God asks us a question. Like, I don't know, God. Why are you asking me a question? You the God of God. You're supposed to know everything. You're supposed to know it all. But here we come up today with a real deep question that God asks. And it, and, it, and it is one that he asked of Adam. Turn to your Bible in the Genesis chapter 3. The very beginning. Because how many know if you get it right in the beginning... The end already take care of itself. Because he says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. So if you get it right in the beginning with the author, then the finishing is just a part of the process. Amen? Amen. You get in what you, I mean, you get out what you put in. Genesis chapter 3, and I'm starting at verse 8. It says, they heard a sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Mm, right there. That's good enough right there. Hiding from the presence of the Lord. Hiding from the presence of the Lord. How many hiding from the presence of the Lord? Don't raise your hand. Don't shame, or raise your hand and tell the truth. 
or wait till we go through this and then you might say, you know what, I never knew I was hiding. But you are. Hiding from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Blending in. Blending in. Then the Lord God called the man, called to the man and said to him, where are you? Where are you? He said, talking about the man, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, talking about God, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Amen. 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 So here we have a popular part of the scripture. Everybody knows the story. God made man, then made woman. They was hanging out in the garden. This little serpent come up in there, start talking to the woman, saying, yeah, God is tricking y'all. He, he don't want y'all to be like him. You know, he holding something back from you. So then the woman say, well, it do look pretty good. Let me go ahead and get a hold of that. How many of us get a hold of something that do look pretty good? When we get a hold to it, it look good, it tastes good, and it feel good, but then once we realize what the end result is, we like, oh Lord, please take this thing away from me. See, that's the thing with getting a hold of something sometimes. You can grab it quicker than you can ever let it go. Amen? Amen. And then he says, he says that then they ate the fruit and then they realized they were naked and then we come up on this verse in verse 8 it says, they heard the sound of the Lord of God Walking in the garden. The sound of God. See, we can hear the sound of God walking in, in our life, walking in the midst and around us. We can hear the sound, but sometimes we close our ears to that. We close our ears to it. It says they heard the sound. They heard God, meaning they heard that God was present. They heard that God was around, but they knew that they had done something wrong. They knew they had done something wrong. And it says that the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence amongst the trees. Amongst the trees. And if you remember, what did they cover? Interacting. What did they cover themselves with? The fig leaves. They covered themselves with the fig leaves. So that was something that was what? Produced in the garden. Amen? Amen. So... Now it says right here in the scripture, it says that they hid themselves among the trees. So what are they trying to do? They're attempting to blend in. See, when we separate ourselves from the presence of God, then after a while, we find ourselves blending into our environment, blending into our surroundings. We begin to adapt to what things look like outside of the will of God. And see, one thing about a fig leaf, I'm going to back up a little bit and give you a little quickie on that. One thing about the fig leaf is it looks just like the fig. And if you remember in the gospel, when Jesus comes up to the tree and he's hungry, he got his stomach touching his back. And he say, man, I'm hungry. Let me get a little something to eat off this tree. And he pulled back the leaves and he doesn't see anything. No figs are there. But it looks like it's producing figs. And then he says, curses this tree. And then he curses the tree. He says, it's not grown no more. And then we know that they come back later. The disciples find that tree has been withered and is dead. And Jesus cursed it. Why? Because it looked like it was producing something, but it was only pretending to be. 
And see, that's why Adam and Eve were doing, or Adam and the woman were doing this garden. They covered themselves with the fig leaf. What did they cover? Their reproductive. They covered their reproductive organs. They covered up the things that were exposing themselves when they thought to their reproduction. So they looked like they were to be able to reproduce, but in fact, they were only pretending to be. Because God had commanded them to do what? What was their first command that God gave them? There you go. Say it again. Be fruitful and multiply. So that's what they were told to do. So now they covered themselves with a fig, blending into their environment, looking like their environment, but not even producing like their environment. So you can hang around folks that you ain't even supposed to be around and still not benefit from what they are. See, like people who want to be thuggish. They can hang around thugs and, and, and sagging and doing all that stuff and tearing it all up, but never benefit from actually being a thug. <laughs> never benefit from because you're really not supposed to be that. You're really not even supposed to be that, so you don't even know how to do it. You just know how to look the part. You just know how to pretend. Like he said, say it again. It's interactive. Talk to me. The Holy Spirit hit you. Hit me with it. Follow us. Followers. Amen. That's what they was doing. It says that they was hiding among the trees. Yes. It was important why he showed the location there. He says, they could, he could have just said they was hiding. And we wouldn't have knew where they was hiding at. But he says among the trees. Meaning that if you really was looking for them, you might not find them. You might not find them. See, when you're looking for somebody who's lost in your life, you might not be able to find them because they hiding in places that you don't even recognize. They hiding among the trees. They hiding among the, the, the overgrowth. They hiding amongst the, the vines and the twigs. But the most important thing is, right here he says, then the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Where are you? Is God asking this question because he don't know? Is he like us when we lose our keys or we lose our cell phone or lose whatever and we like, man, where are my keys? We really don't know at that point, do we? So is God saying the same thing to Adam? Is he really, is Adam a set of lost car keys hidden in the trees and God is saying, where are you? He want Adam to know where he is. Anybody else? Why is God asking Adam this question? Testing his faith. Testing his faith. What else? Where are you? If somebody say, where are you? Why do you think they're asking you that? They want you to respond. They want you to respond. Because see, once you respond... That reveals your location. Where are you? I'm over here. <laughs> that reveals your location. Because if I can barely hear you, that means you're far away. If I can hear you loudly, that means you're close to me. Responding reveals your location. See, God said, where are you, Adam? I want you to respond. Reveal your location. 
so that you will know where you are. I already know where you are. But see, when you respond and, and your voice comes back to me and then my voice comes to you, you will realize that there's some distance between us. You'll realize that there's separation between us. It indicates, number one, that you are lost. When somebody says, where are you? You are lost. Not lost that you can't ever be found, but they're not where you are. It indicates that the fellowship has been broken. That means that you're not where I am. I'm right here. Where are you? I'm over here. Where are you? Respond to me. I'm testing you to see if you're where I'm supposed to be. I already know where I'm supposed to be. I'm God. Where are you? Where are you? See, the communion has been broken. Turn to John chapter 15 in the New Testament. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And we, I'm going to start at verse 4. And it says, John chapter 15, verse 4 says, Abide in me. And I in you. This is Jesus talking. Abide in me, Jesus. And I, Jesus, in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. But here's the key. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, God is saying, where are you? Where are you? I'm the, I'm the vine. I'm the source. See, when he's talking about the vine here, he's talking about the root. How many know when you plant, plant seed in the ground, the roots grow down first. They go down and get all the nutrients. They go down and get all the things they need, the water and all the stuff that they need, the fertilizer out of the ground. So then when the vine, I mean the branches and the stems start to grow up, they grow up strong. And that's why Jesus is making this comparison here. He's saying, if you're not in me, and I'm not in you, then apart from me, you can do nothing. That means that there's our first seat. There's contention going on. Contention. See, I got a lot of trees in my yard, and I know if you if I cut down the branches, and even if you don't have trees, you don't seen it. If you cut a branch off the tree, how long does that branch live? How long does that branch live? I'm not asking for a specific time, but it just it doesn't last long. It may appear to still be living. Because when you first cut that branch off, it's still green. It's still, it's still pliable. Yeah. Meaning it, it can bend, but it won't break. It still even have leaves on it. So it's still producing some things, even though it's away from the tree. But over time, when it's separated from the tree, over time, what starts to happen? First, the leaves fall off. Means it stops producing things. Mm-hmm. Stops even looking like it can produce things. Right. Then it starts to get brown and it starts to dry up. And then eventually, after a while, if you pick it up, it becomes brittle and it can almost crumble in your hands. And it's definitely easier to burn. Well, that's what we are when we separate from God. 
See, after a while, our leaves start falling off. The things that we were producing, we're not able to produce anymore. And then after a while, we start getting we start getting dried out, meaning that we're not receiving the word. We're not getting the word like we're supposed to. So we start drying up. We start getting dry and we get brittle. And where we used to bend and not break, now we're breaking on everything. We getting broke by every circumstance. We getting broke by everything that's going on in our life. We used to could bend when things attack us and things hit us, but now when things come up, now we getting broke. And then pretty soon we find ourselves in a brittle state where we just crumbling under everything because we're apart. There's contention. There's contention. We're away from the vine. Then he asked. Adam, where are you? Where are you? And Adam responds and he says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Hmm. Did anybody see that right there? Did Adam tell God where he was? What does the scripture say? says, then the Lord, verse 9, then the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. He never told God where he was. He said, I hid myself. I heard you. I heard you coming for me. I heard that there was some distance between us, but because I've done what I've done, because I've, I've separated myself from you, then I hid myself. Because I know I was in the wrong, so I hid myself. I hid myself. See, that's what happens a lot of times when we get into that thing called sin, because that's what Adam had done. He had sinned. But see, now, I'm not going to do an exhaustive on sin right now, but who? Somebody tell me what sin is. What do you think sin is? Anybody? Any act that steps outside the will of God. Any act that steps outside the will of God. Anybody else? Don't be afraid. Ain't no right or wrong. If it's wrong, we're correct. Anybody sin? Because Adam sinned right here, and all he did was ate a piece of fruit. So you're telling me eating fruit is worse than watching porno? Eating fruit is worse than cussing somebody out? No, it's all equal. All sin is sin. Right. Why? Because God said don't do it. There you go. Sin, the root of sin is what? Disobedience. Disobedience. What does God say about this thing? If, if what you're doing is not what God said to do about it, guess what, people? It's a sin. Wow. So is that easy to sin? Yeah. Yes. It is. It's that easy. Because what happens is anything that separates you from the will of God, the word itself, sin, S-I-N, separation is now. See, we like to think of sins as the stuff that, that, that produces something. Like say when somebody gets, gets pregnant out of, out of wedlock, so to speak, then we, we want to talk about them because we can see they pregnant belly. But can't nobody see you downloading can't nobody see you downloading them naked pictures at, on the internet because you always hiding. Amen. Amen. I told you it was hard, but it's right. 
See, we, we can't look at the one sin that we can see. Just like when Jesus, when, the, when they bought the woman to stone her and all the men came up to stone her, the reason why he said those would not sin cast the first stone because he knew their hearts. He knew that every man who was trying to kill her was every man who had done fit with her. It's out of context to say that people use that scripture to say, you know, well, you can't talk about nobody sinning because you sinning. No, you can't talk about something that you are part of. Amen. You can't talk about somebody and you're doing the same very thing. If you commit adultery, how are you going to talk about somebody else committing adultery? If you out running around and, and doing drugs, how are you going to talk about somebody else doing drugs? It don't matter which one. Yeah, I always smoke weed. They do crack. <laughs> They're all mind altering. They're all mind altering. I used to do that when I used to be a weed smoker. I talk about the folks who did crack. At least I don't do that. At least I don't do that. But it's all mind altering. Anything that alters your mind, whether it's legal or illegal, it's all mind altering. There are legal drugs that will alter your mind. There are legal drugs that will separate you from the will of God because it'll have you thinking thoughts that are crazy. You hear all them daggone them symptoms on the TV commercials. You know, it'll clear up your runny nose, but then you might suffer depression, suicide thoughts, and, 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 and itchy skin, and, and driving down the street and nakedness and all. I mean, all kinds of symptoms. But all you had was a runny nose. But then it's got you thinking thoughts of suicide and depression, taking you outside of the will of God. But see, one thing that's good about this question that God asked, he says, where are you? Where are you? Is that it causes conviction or it should cause conviction. Where are you? See, sometimes we don't realize where we are in life until the voice of God reminds us. So he got to wake us up and say, where are you? Where are you? Really what he's saying is, you're not supposed to be here. You're not with me. You're in contention with me. You're contending with me. And he says in the word, he says, I will not contend with man forever. Meaning I ain't going to keep fighting you forever. Because when it's all said and done, I'm going to win. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That's one fight you're not going to win in this life. You can fight everybody. You can fight your mama, your daddy, your sister, your brother, the white folks, the black folks, the Mexican folks, everybody on your job. You can fight everybody, and you might win. But there's one fight when it's all said and done that you're not going to win. And the worst part about it is the devil the whole time will make you think that you win. And then when you face stone judgment day and you standing there before me and just like the word of God says in the gospel, not what I say, but he said, he says, I knew you not depart from me. And that was after the people said, I prayed in your name. I prophesied in your name. I did. What? You mean I can be a Christian and God still not know me? Yeah, because he didn't know how you was acting. You was acting out of character. You looked apart, but you didn't act apart. You look like you produce things, but you was infertile. It's supposed to convict us. It's supposed to convict us. The sin is supposed to wake us up. See, one thing I was looking at with AJ doing some stuff on on internet or whatever, and about mountains and climbing and everything, 
And you'd be surprised, especially like the Mount Everest and the Alps and all that kind of stuff, those big high mountains with the snow and all that. What do you think kills people the most in climbing those mountains? Because a lot of people die on those mountains. What do you think kills them the most? Lack of oxygen. Lack of oxygen, altitude. Those are good answers. What do you think? What else? Not paying attention. Sleep. Sleep kills them the most. What do I mean by that? See, as they climbing those mountains, it ain't a one-day climb. You can't do it. It ain't Kennesaw Mountain or Stone Mountain where you're going to start that thing in about an hour you're going to be at the top. These mountains take days. So overnight, they got what? Sleep and rest. But what happens a lot of times is they die and they sleep. Because it gets so cold that, and they're not moving their body, and so of course then at that point the blood starts freezing up and everything freezes up and locks up, and they die in their sleep. Well, how many know that that's what the enemy wants you to do? Die in your sleep, the sleep of your sin, the sleep of your separation from God, saying that you know what? Don't worry about it. You ain't really that bad. It ain't really bad what you're doing. It's okay. Everybody else doing it. It's okay for you to do that too. They, them Christian folk, they always want to judge folks. They, you can't do nothing. You can't have no fun. So then he lulls you into sleep. Long enough for when the alarm clock sounds called judgment day and you wake up, you're on the wrong side of eternity. You're on the wrong side of eternity. So, but that's where the conviction comes in at. Conviction is the alarm clock on this side of eternity. Conviction is saying, it's time to get up. Where are you? You're sleeping on this thing. You, 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 you separated from God. You're not fully in the presence of God in your life. It's time to connect back. It's time to plug back into the source. See, if you're not producing fully the way you want to in your life, there is some separation. I'm not saying you don't love God. I'm not saying you don't know God. I'm not saying that God ain't blessing you. I'm not even saying that God ain't walking with you. But if you're not fully producing what you want to in your life according to his will, then there is some separation. There's a gap. There's a, there's a fissure. There's a, there's a hairline fracture between you and God. And that fracture can only intensify if you don't deal with it. Amen. Amen. I know it's hard because y'all just looking at me like, get through this thing. I'm trying. Conviction is what's that old. Turn to John chapter 33. John chapter 3 in the New Testament. I want you to see something right here. See, conviction is important. Conviction is important. See, one thing I did know, even when I was smoking all that time and all them years, it was the craziest thing because once I realized I wasn't going to really just get this thing up on my own, I kind of succumbed to the fact of saying, God, okay, I can't stop this, and if you're not going to take it from me right now, at least allow me to keep conviction. 
Never let this thing get so settled inside of me that I'm just okay with it. That I'm just completely all right with it. Even though to everybody else around, it might have looked like I was completely okay with it because I, I go through it like it was water. But at the same time, there was this inner conviction. It was always on the inside of me saying that something ain't right. Something just ain't right. This is not completely who you are. This is not what you were designed to be. It might have been a small voice, but it was always down. Once you lose that small voice, then you go over to what they call reprobate, meaning that you don't care, meaning that God is now saying, you know what, I'm not even going to ask you where you are. I already know where you are, and you obviously don't care where you are. So I'm going to stop giving instructions. And how many know that's a bad place to be when God says, at this point, I'm going to let you over to yourself. It'd be best for you to go ahead and, and run the course of your life so that therefore your body can go ahead and perish so that I can have a soul. Reprobate. But John chapter 3, starting at verse 17. Yeah, I know we got to John 3, 16, but see, people only read that part. They don't keep going. It says, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who, who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment. Here's the judgment. That the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. See, that's the judgment. That's the judgment. People say, don't judge me, and God don't want to judge. No, the judgment is, I bought you the light. I bought you the illumination. I bought you the understanding. Even after you know, you still keep doing this. You still keep doing this. What does that mean? You already know that you're not supposed to be over here living with that person, but you still keep doing it anyway. Or, let's go even more. Something that don't even look like sin. You already know that I supply all your needs according to my riches and glory, but you still keep acting like you ain't got no faith in my word. You won't step out on faith. You mean stepping out on faith could actually be, not stepping out on faith could actually be a sin? Yes, because you're not being obedient to the word of God. So you're separating yourself from the word because you're not believing. It says it right there in the verse. It says, he who believes in him is not judged. What's the judgment? The light coming into the world. So if you believe in him, you know that the light is already there. You know that the path has already been, been brightened. But it says those who don't believe have already been judged already. Meaning you already in the darkness. You already in the darkness. If you don't believe in what God is saying, you already in the darkness. But see, one of his one of his greatest divine works is that conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, you know what? Come up out of this thing. Wake up out of this thing. Get out of that sinking thinking. Remove yourself from that thought process. You ain't got it all figured out right. It says many other ways of man, but they all lead to what? To destruction. So we got to understand. But God says, wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Where are you? Where are you? See, and he'll cause that pain in your life. You know, it'll be a hurt. It's like, God, I'm so frustrated. I'm so tired. But how many know that pain is the precursor to change? 
See, once you start hurting, then you're going to do something about it. See, a lot of us keep going through and we never experience the hurt. And then that means that you only you only a step away from death. See, it's the pain that brings you to the change. Just like your own physical body. Your own physical body. A lot of people wouldn't realize that they had cancer until the pain of a tumor, meaning that growth or something grows inside of it. If it wasn't no tumors, you wouldn't even know. So you wouldn't go to the doctor. And it's the same thing in the spirit. If God was not convicting you, then guess what? You would never say, I need to change. It's not that he's trying to he's trying to judge you or condemn you. So don't get conviction mixed up with condemnation. See, it's a difference. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation comes from the enemy. Conviction says, yeah, you are wrong, but this is the way you need to change. This is how you can change, and this is how you look when you are changed. And I believe that you can change. That's what conviction does. Condemnation says, yeah, this is how you are. This is how you always going to be because your mama was like that. Your, your grandmama was like that. She was a hoe. You was a hoe. You always going to be one. That's what the whole family is. When you have kids, they going to be hoes too. That's what condemnation does. That's what condemnation does. It says that whatever your past was, you tied to that for the rest of your life. You are slaves to that thing. Don't even try to change. You might well enjoy it. Just like the scriptures say, be, be, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The devil is a lie. The devil is a lie. You're going to say, you know what? God, it is some things I need to change. It is some things that I need to line up right. It is some things that I need to step back in order. It is, I need to come out from behind the bush and quit hiding myself from your presence. I need to fully give myself away to you so that you can change me. So that you can change me. And some people say, well, I don't want to be changed. I'm fine the way I am. The devil is a lie. Because you can always grow. Anything that's not changing is dead. You change in your life. You start out as an infant. Then you change into, into a, to a toddler. Then that toddler changes into, into an adolescent. And then that adolescent turns into something we don't recognize. But people call them teenagers. And, and, and then, they turn into, then they turn into adults. So there's always change. There's always change. Change. God is saying, you, you can't stay the way you are. But then how do you do that? How do you get to that? Once you get, you realize that you're in contention with God. And then you get convicted because of that contention. Then how do you get out of that? Through confession. Confession. Turn to 1 John. 1 John. Still New Testament. 1 John. See, we got to confess. Confess our sins. Confess that we're not doing everything right. It's okay. It says what? So you ain't by yourself. It says that we what? Have all what? Right. And then another scripture says what? If you say you have no sin, then what? If you say you have no sin, the scripture says you've already committed a lie, which means you sinned. You can't say you don't have none. I know when you preach a message like that, people say, why are you preaching me? I don't sin. I don't do all that stuff. I don't, I don't sleep outside of marriage. I don't do drugs. I don't, I don't uh, uh, do whatever people think sin is. 
But if you say you don't sin, you already kind of missed the mark. We all do. Even if it's something as simple as God told you to hug somebody and you didn't do it. What happened? Why is that a sin? Because disobedience. We already said in the beginning that the root of sin is what? Disobedience. It's disobedient. So here's how the enemy works. He feels like, well, if I can get them to disobey on this little thing, it just keeps piling up, keeps piling up. Then eventually it becomes easier to commit what we call real sins. What we call real sins. See, what we call real sins, God says, y'all just trying to label and divide and categorize. It's all sin to me. Anything that separates you from me is sin. Anything that causes you to disobey me is sin. It's sin. And when you do it to the extent that you're worshiping it, now you turn it into idolatry. Because you're worshiping this thing and obeying this thing more than you obeying me. Amen? First John chapter 1, starting at verse 8. There it is right there. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Good gracious of life. He said, if you say you ain't got no sin, you deceiving yourself. Meaning you lying to yourself. And then you take it on the front and say, and the truth ain't even in you. You can't even tell the truth. So what is he saying? He said, you almost like the father of lies. You almost like the devil. He said, the truth ain't even in you. It ain't even in you. My God, you talking to us like that? He says, it is not even in you. So don't sit around and say, I don't got no sin just because your sin don't have bad repercussions like somebody else's. Because guess what? The same pregnant girl who you talking about, if you go into Susan, Mary, and John talking about a little bit, guess what? You said it just as much as she has. Because you're gossiping and you're backbiting. Because you're not uplifting her. You're not edifying her. You're not strengthening her. You're trying to put your foot down on a situation that you don't have no power over. God looks at it all the same. All the same. All the same. And see, she'll know to not ever get pregnant again. Because she'll have that baby. That baby's going to cause her pain because she can't go out with her friends no more. She can't do what she want to do. Her mama getting on her all the time. So that baby causes her a lot of pain. Most, most women I knew, if they had a baby early and that mama really made them raise babies, that was the best birth control they could ever have. That's why you'll see a big gap between the first one and the second one. Be about 10, 14 year gap. They're like, I ain't trying to do that no more. I ain't trying to go that route no more. But the gossiping person, they don't think that's a sin. So they gospel about a little bit having a baby. Now they over here gossiping about this person who lost their husband. Now they gossiping about it. So they continue gossiping their whole life. Passing on information. They passing on gossip, but never pass on the gospel. So they ain't got no problem coming up and telling you what they said, but when you when you call them and say, can you go out here to help me tell the people what Jesus said? Well, I got to go to work that day. <laughs> well, I don't know. Let me check my schedule. But if you call them up on the phone and say, girl, did you see so-and-so over there? Yeah, let me tell you about it. Girl, I saw them. At, but, and they at work. Why they doing it? Mm. Amen. I know it hurt, but it's all good. If it ain't you, say Amen. 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 Then it goes on further and says what in, in that verse it says, if we confess, here it is, if we confess our sins, 
Confess our sins. Confess. Now that don't mean you got to do like they used to do in the old days. Come up in front of the church and tell everybody, yeah, Lord, last night, I just want to come up here and confess. I want to thank God who's the head of my life and and the source of my salvation. And Okay, if he's the head of your life, then what you get ready to say next shouldn't even happen. But I thank God. I thank God who's the head of my life. But I need to confess some sin right now that last night, you know, I, I, I slept in a bed that wasn't mine. And it didn't belong to my wife either. But the Lord is my father. And the Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want. But I want it last night. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And then I sit there and say, you know, they they that they full of the Holy Spirit. Might even be talking in tongues, son of law, and I praise God. But I just need to confess to y'all. I need a chandelier. I praise God. Yeah, you need a chandelier. You need some light in your life. Because you're not possessed by the Holy Spirit, you possessed by something else. But what he's saying right here, when he's saying confess, confess just means to, to open it up, to open up, to confess your sin. That can just be between you and God, or it can be between somebody who, who you trust and you can confide in. Because you can't confess to everybody now, because remember, you got Susan over there, she ready to gossip everything you tell her. So you, you better be careful what you're confessing, because everybody going to know it anyway. So it says, if we confess our sins, and he don't tell us who, so that don't mean you got to come to your, your pastor or to your priest or whatever. He says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful. So that's letting us know who ultimately you confess your sins to. You confess them to God. He already know them anyway. He just wants you to open your mouth so that you can let that stuff up out of you. See, it's through the, it's through the mouth comes life or death. So when you start confessing, you saying, I'm speaking this death up out of me. I used to do this thing, but God, I don't want to do it no more. I confess to you my sins. And see, it says sins, plural. I mean, you ain't got just one. Don't think you cute. You ain't got just one. He said, confess all them bad boys. Confess all them sin. And then what? He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins. So he forgives you first. He says, you know what? I forgive you. You, you, was, you was wrong. You didn't know what you was doing. You might have knew what you was doing, but I'm going to pretend like you didn't know. So I'm going to forgive you. And then he goes on, he says, not only am I going to forgive you, and this is where the conviction comes from, not the condemnation. Because then after he forgives you, he says, then I'm going to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He says, you got dirty when you was over there. You got some residue from that sin. You got some stuff left on you. you now I got to clean you back up. I got to restore you back. Because you confess. Because you say, God, I, I didn't have it right. God, I wasn't walking right. God, I wasn't living right. God, just help me to do this thing. I feel convicted right now. I'm confessing it to you right now. And he says, you know what? I forgive you. Now let me clean you up. Let me take off that residue. I'm going to remove all that residue off of you. And people ain't even going to know what you did. Just like Paul said, when he used to be Saul, he killed Christians. And then he had that experience with Jesus. And he said that that man doesn't exist anymore. That man doesn't exist anymore. 
Even when people came back and said, you look like that same person. But what you got to tell them is, I ain't got no residue no more. You look like that person who used to smoke all the time, get high all the time, but I ain't got that residue no more. You can't smell the danky dank on me no more. I don't stink like that no more. There's no residue on me no more. Yeah, I look the same, but I don't act the same. That's the key. I look the same, but I don't act the same. The action is all he's trying to get. He don't care about you totally changing your look. He don't care if you done in your old life you tatted up from your head to your feet. But he's saying, okay, now that you got in the light, don't get no more. And now that you got in the light, now what you gonna do? You can't go and take all that off, but you can still act differently. That's right. That's right. You can act differently. And then I can use you to confound people. Meaning I can use you to confuse people. Meaning at that point, when they see you, they're going to look at you one way, but what come out your mouth is going to be life. Because I am faithful. He says he is faithful. And why is he faithful? Because of his compassion. See, the only reason he asked Adam, where are you? Because God is compassionate. God is compassionate. God says, I, 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 I feel for you. I feel sorry for you. Why Why? Why did you get yourself into this situation? Because when we feel compassion, that means that there's a common passion. That means that, that we have a common passion with God. And he's saying, you know what? You was once made in my image. You was once glorious. You was once all immortal. You was blessed with everything. You was told to be fruitful and multiply. And now you find yourself hiding out behind bushes. Hiding out behind bushes. Where are you? Where are you? My creation. My beloved one. Where are you? Why are you finding yourself in this thing? What, what, have, we, what have you lost when you separated yourself from me? See, God is full of compassion. And we read John 3.17, but what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, God is a compassionate God. He says that he didn't come so that we could perish. He came so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. So he's not saying because you have separated yourself, because you're not fully in his presence, that you just done messed it all up. Again, that's condemnation. Conviction says, yeah, you've done all that, but let's get it right. We can still win this thing. We're still in this game. And that's what God is saying right now. We're still in this game. It might be the fourth quarter. You might feel like you're down right now. You might feel like you, that you, we ain't quite in tune with each other. He said, but you can still win this game. Because I have compassion for you. Turn quickly to Psalms chapter 78. Psalms chapter 78. Psalms chapter 78, starting at verse 36. It says, But they deceived him with their mouth and lied to him with their tongue, for their heart was not steadfast toward him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. Sound like they sent it to me, right? Mm -hmm. Says they deceived him with their mouth. 
See, that's the first place to sin right there because you start speaking things. But first you come with your thought and you start speaking those things. It says, for their heart was not steadfast towards him. Meaning they heart wasn't with God. They heart, they, they was kind of split. Yeah, I, I love God. I come to church. I read the Bible. But I also like to do this over here. And it says, for their heart was not steadfast and they were not faithful to his covenant. There's that disobedience. But then in verse 38, but, meaning there's a switch that occurred. There's a contrast that occurred. He, being compassionate, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. And often he restrained his anger and did not arouse all his wrath. Thus he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. What is all that saying? God know you. People love to say, God know my heart. Yeah, he know your heart, but he wants you to change it. He know who you are. He said right there, he said he, he, he's going to hold back his anger because he remembered. Oh, yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, they, they Adam's kids. Adam messed this thing up, and, and they still doing it. Even though I done gave them the whole Bible. You know, Adam didn't even have a Bible. They, they got the Bible. They got it on the Internet. They got it on DVD. They got it on the Internet, the, the YouTube. They got the Bible. They got Word everywhere, but they still want to act like they don't know. But I got to remember, though, because they walking with this flesh. And the flesh and the spirit, as the word says, what? Is always at contention with each other, always at war with each other. So God said, I'm going to hold back my wrath for a little while because I'm compassionate. But see, how many know that restraining and holding back comes with a time limit? Yes, yes, yes. It comes with a time limit. You can't wait and play the time game. You can't wait and play the time game. And then lastly, right here with the reason why God said, where are you, is when we, when we ask something or we're looking for something, where is my keys? Or where is my cell phone? Or where is my car? When we walking around in the parking lot with parking lot amnesia. Why do we look for things? Why do we look for things? So that it can be found. But why is that thing, why is that particular thing you're looking for? Like, why would you look for your keys? You got to use it. That's a good one. Why are you looking for your cell phone? Because you lost it. Yeah, we got that. It's lost. You need it. You need it. You want to use it. Hear all the answers you're giving because that's why God is looking for you. Because he needs to use you. He needs you. You lost, but ain't nobody hit the magic words yet. It's valuable. Bam, the magic word. <laughs> you only look for things that are value. If there's no value to you, you don't care. How many of you done lost stuff and you be like, whatever, it didn't cost me that much. I just go buy another one or whatever. If it's not valuable to you, you do not look for it. So when God came through the garden and he was walking through and he said, Adam, where are you? What was he really saying to Adam? You are valuable. I have lost something that was my prized possession. I don't know where it is. I need to use it. I need to find it. I need to. I need it. Where is it? Mm. 
See, we are chosen by God. We are cherished by God. We are children of God. So when we are lost and separated from him, he says, where are you? I need to use you. I got something I need to do with you, like the keys. I need you. I need to be able to stick you in some places so that some doors can be open. I need to put you in some places so that some engines can be started. Without you, I can't even get things done in this room. Where are you? And like your cell phone, you're looking for it. He said, I need some, I got some calls on your life that I need to make. You call to do greater things. You call to be a leader. You call to be an example. You call to be separated from the crowd. Where are you? You are valuable to me. You are valuable to me. Why are you hiding from me? I can't find you. See, when we, when we lose something of value, we'll look for it a long time. And we only give up when? When we feel like all hope is lost and we're not going to find it. But how many going to walk out of a parking lot if they can't find their car? You're going to walk that parking lot and walk that parking lot and walk that parking lot and walk that parking lot. Why? Because that car is valuable to you. You don't want to have to replace it. Well, that's what God is saying. I'm going to walk around you. I'm going to walk this thing. I'm going to walk this thing. I'm going to walk around you the whole time in your life because I cannot replace you. I don't want to replace you. He can't replace you. There's only one you. He made you since the beginning of time. Since the beginning of time. Psalms 139. Psalms 139, in verse 13, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Good gracious alive. Did y'all get that? God is saying right there, he's saying, I had eyes on you even before you was even formed. It says right there, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. Meaning before your mama even thought about laying down with your daddy, I already saw you. Before even the sperm came together with the egg, I already saw you. Even before your mama was created and your grandmama and your great, great, great grandmama was created, I saw you. I saw your unformed substance and in the book was written the days that was ordained. What is ordained? Meaning it's ordered. Meaning it's already set. Meaning he already know your day. That's why he's saying, where are you? Because I know on this day, you're supposed to be here. So why are you over there? Because I already got the days laid out. I already got the steps laid out. All you got to do is just walk this thing out with me. Trust me. Trust that I already know. Because I've chosen you. I've cherished you. You are my child. He says right there, he says that no matter what, he says, when as yet there was not one of them. Meaning that before I even created days, I created your days. How powerful is that? Before God even created something called time, he already had your time mapped out. 
Meaning I'm going to map out your time and then set time in. So, so the time really is supposed to line up with you. See, we, y'all missing that. We, we can manipulate time. What am I saying by that? Because he's saying right now, he said that your days have been ordained when as yet there was not one of them. Meaning before your days even happened, they was already mapped out. So how can we manipulate time? Because we can say, God, what am I supposed to be doing? What am I ordained in this day to do? See, if you step in God's will, if you step in his time, then guess what? Time doesn't even matter because at that point, you are in seed, time, and harvest. So everything operates predictable. Life is predictable, people. If you do this, then you get this. God already laid it all out. Basic instructions before leaving earth. The Bible. If you just read the instructions, you're going to see how to put it together. But see, we like to get the stuff out the box and start putting it together before we even read the instructions. And then we might look at the picture of the box and say, okay, that's what it's supposed to look like. So that's what we do with the Bible. Okay, I look at the picture of the Bible or I'm supposed to be holy. Okay, that's what it's saying. So then we act holy, but never are holy. Because we act holy, but we incomplete. We're not whole and put together. Amen. 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 I want to show you. I want to show you something real quick. I'm gonna end a little different. I want to show you something real quick. I know somebody got something to say. So if you got something to say, go ahead and say it. Go ahead and say it. It's all good right now.